Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by Capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Hello, Melissa. Welcome to the Support Automation Show. Where's this podcast find you? St. Louis, Missouri. Lovely town, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> nice and autumny. Yes, it's beautiful. Um, where Capacity is based here in St. Louis, and I don't usually get to talk to people from St. Louis, and it's always a pleasure to do so. Um, uh, Melissa, you're the Senior Operations Consultant at Worldwide Technology. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Worldwide, and what you do there? Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I am. I'm a senior consultant. I do focus on the people and process parts of transformations. So a lot of that is a background in service management, um, service support strategies. And of course, part of that is the processes and the workflows that we use to help companies go through data transformations or digital transformations right now. And before that, I worked at other companies as service delivery management. And then I uh, ran a global service desk for the better part of about 17 years. Very interesting. And in that experience, when, when you think of like a global service desk over that period of time, I'm sure you've seen tons of change and like how, oh, you yeah. know, how, how everything, is, the, the trends, implementations. Um, when we were talking before the show a little bit, we were talking about how you brought up this, this really wonderful sentiment that I am totally going to like steal and use in marketing copy somewhere. So if you see it out there in the wild, um, you can smile and, and, and know that you made, you made an impact on me, Good. but that support automation is really, when you think about it, um, a potential subset of digital transformation. And That's I thought right. that was really interesting because one of the first questions I always ask on this show is when I say support automation, what does that mean to you? But I think because you offered up that nugget, I think maybe that's the place to start today. And sure. so if you, if you don't mind, like double click on what you meant by that. So I work with clients all over the world. And one of the common themes and the new hot buttons right now is digital transformation oh, yeah. or even just transformation. And to me, one small component of that is automation capabilities and how we can optimize processes and optimize the work that our people are doing. I hate using the word resources because that it's, we're humans, right? Yes. So, uh, it's optimizing our resources and optimizing our processes so that we can do more, we can think more, we can strategize better, and we can really provide value back to the business and new and interesting uh, with new and interesting capabilities. Right. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to me, too, because one of the things that we hear a lot at Capacity, I mean, being a software as a service business who mm -hmm. sells into internal employee support and also kind of customer support organizations, we do come across the comment that, you know, we're looking at we being the 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 prospect, the enterprise. We're going through a digital mm -hmm. transformation effort right now. And we're looking at all these different things that we're trying to do, whether it's right. bring in 
OCR and intelligent document processing type stuff to, to digitize paper-based workflows, whether it's um, even sort of simple stuff like level zero support with, I say simple, but um, mm. chat bots or self-service, um, self-service, exactly. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And and this is all sort of on the spectrum of the same thing, which you you touched on that that I find really interesting and also am heavily invested in because our one of our values here at Capacity is to help people do their best work. And you sort of sure. mentioned, you know, where through digitization and process automation, you kind of do unlock some potential there. So I'm thinking in in your in your experience sort of running uh, large scale enterprise support type type functions. What are some of the biggest unlocks that you've seen that really have like driven transformational value for organizations? You know, I think the capabilities that we have in some of the tool sets now are really amazing. Um, mm -hmm. I think like the the APIs that you can plug into to let's say uh, you know different ITSM platforms such as ServiceNow or Remedy or ShareRoll yep. or whatever, um, and being able to use. The, I'm not being paid by any of these companies, by the way, to drop to name drop, but I'm just giving an example here. Um, but but that to be able to leverage and harness the power of those different APIs and those different kind of plugin opportunities <clears throat> makes my job so much easier when you're talking about the really challenging parts, which is changing human behaviors. Mm. And that's when we think about process. And when we think about process, that's an underpinning to support. And so when we're able to wrap that all up to an automated platform, and we'll be able to leverage all this really amazing technology, even though I'm really tool agnostic as a process and people person. Mm -hmm. um, it's so fascinating to see how you can take, you know, ticket handling times down to just seconds or um, service request processing times down to you don't even have to speak with a person because it's automated. I know those people are able to do really other cool things instead and work on the harder things. Yeah, it's exactly right. And kind of wrapped up in in that is another point that you brought up in our uh, conversation and, and, and back and forth before we booked the interview, which was automated workflows aren't scary. And <laughs> I literally have in my in my show notes, that's 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 a question that we we you know, we, we ask a lot on this show. Yeah, um, because ultimately, when people hear automation on the one hand you think okay you, you you imagine like the assembly line is as henry ford first envisioned right. it compared to you know the way uh like a pick a modern honda facility or something where there's robots right. all over the place and like sure it's, it, it's very much like you know lean six sigma and the whole thing scare and yeah. quotes automation right yeah but in the in the knowledge worker um kind of white collar jobs, if you will, you're starting to see a bit of displacement and automation in, in there as well, right? Like mm -hmm. stare and compare on spreadsheets and, and sort of copying and pasting things from one function to another, like that absolutely exists. But to bring that change management, to go through the digital transformation, enterprises do have to message the implementation of all this stuff with their with their employees carefully so that people don't find it scary. So I'm curious, like in your in your career, what you've seen, like 
have you seen that done well, poorly? Are there any like key insights that that if you could tell a um, you know someone in your shoes ten years ago who's getting ready to go through some big implementation or something, is there like a piece of advice or a, a, a thought you would give them? I, I'll I'll even do it better than something I would tell myself 10 years yeah. ago, which would probably be different. I'll tell you what I tell my clients now. And oh, my clients it. are generally CIOs, CEOs, CTOs, you know, you, you name it. Um, you know, we're talking with C-level executives who are desperately trying to, you know, transform their, their operations. And they're trying to do that with tools and where they always fall short are in three buckets. Okay. Number one, if you're not preparing your teams and your organization for the transformation. So organizational change management um, and the transformational activities that occur, you're asking somebody to do something different, to think differently and to press a different button or, you know, get up on a different side of the bed or use a different application. Um, If we're not preparing our organizations for that type of transformational change, you will fail every Mm -hmm. time. I equivocate it to, you know, my mother needs to get a new phone and she's been on an Android and now I hand her an iPhone and I say, well, good luck with that. Here's your new phone. And then I walk away and she's going to say, now I've got a brick. That's really expensive. What am I supposed to do with that? How do I get to, how do I get to the interwebs, you know? So, and then inevitably I'm on a support call with my mother for two hours. So number two, organizations who aren't supporting with buy-in across the entire C-suite and across all of their direct reports and beyond um, will also fail because now we don't have the investment. We don't have that strong leadership change. And it spills into, of course, the organizational change management that we're talking about. And then number three is, of course, this is outside of being um, the financial investment that you're going to need to to make to either purchase the technology, um, go through the uh, uh, processes of of changing all of your processes and doing the organizational change management. It's getting the buy-in from the rest of your staff and keeping them informed, making sure that they recognize that they are important, getting their on getting their take and letting them be part of the process, creating those change champions that will help you be more successful as you're creating that adoption into the new support realm, or mm-hmm. whether that's support automation specifically, or just the digitization transformation activities that are occurring. Very interesting. Of those three, preparation, mm-hmm. leadership, I am, and then three is the communication and everything. Correct. Else, right? Correct. Where, where do you see people get it wrong the most of those three? What I see the most frequently as folks are going, as businesses and organizations are going through transformation right now, is that so many businesses are siloed and aren't communicating with each other already. They have a lot of times what I call, and, and I say this lightly, look busy kits, right? Like this mm. is what I do. I press these buttons and this is my job and this is what I do every day. And so what makes it scary for some folks, whether you're an executive or whether you're a person who's an analyst or whether you're a mid-level manager, it doesn't matter. Um, when we are working in our own little fiefdoms and we're not communicating and cross-collaborating and working cross-functionally, then we lose a lot of opportunity to um, to move forward and to transform. 
And that's where it starts to become scary for some folks because we've created these silos around our, our fence around our world. And now someone wants to change our world or change the landscape of that. That's just change in general. Right. And that's why the communication and the organizational change management components are so critically important. Yeah. And this is, this is all kinds of companies, Justin. This is massive multi-billion dollar a year banks. This is, you know, animal healthcare. This right. is radio conglomerations. This is, you name it. When you have people, a bunch of people working together, you're setting yourself up to potentially want to run into one of these three issues. Well, and if you think about the way that I'll just think of it from an IT service management perspective, okay? Mm -hmm. And you can you can channel business management and and or operational management into the same kind of philosophies. You know, if you think all the way back to, you know, the 2000s and uh, early 2000s when Idol first started becoming like the new hotness and it was really very siloed. And even though all of these different, you know, incident problem change, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all are combined and connected and different and by somehow some means or another, right? They're all connected to another, another. We created as companies and organizations, very specific governance and groups and ownership of those different functional activities and practice areas. Mm -hmm. And so now it's our opportunity as we are all transforming to look at that from a different perspective and really focus on the business value that the and the objectives and goals that the business is looking to achieve so that we can support those capabilities for them going forward. So I know that sounds like a whole lot of words. Uh, <laughs> you can trim those however you'd like. <laughs> You're talking to someone in marketing. I, I like I like creating a bunch of words. Yeah. It's a um, whole lot of words, but the, I suppose uh you know, the, the, the point to this is we created these silos very purposefully to gain rigor and cadence in something that was very messy as we were learning how to compute, right? As right. we were learning how to support PCs, as we were learning how to, what do we do with BYOD and all of this other technology? And so we created these little silos and fiefdoms intentionally to, to, make things operate in a way that we could understand. And now we're at a point where so many organizations have gained enough maturity in some cases that they're ready to launch to that next step. And they do have the capability. They have the IP. They have the smart workers to um, and the brain power to create new strategies to invoke things like service automation, for example. Right. Change management is definitely a aspect of support automation that we don't talk about enough on this show, and I'm glad you brought it up. Mm. And it's particularly interesting to me right now, just because you know capacity is a startup, right? Mm -hmm. We have a we're a small but mighty team of of you know business is growing, business is is good, we're hiring. Everything's great. We're still a startup. We're still relatively small compared to service now. Just pick a name yeah. out of the hat. But change management, even in a, a employee, a company the size of 75 employees or wherever we're at, is still a real thing. That, uh, like it's a thing. Like I'm going through it right now with mm -hmm. my revenue operations team. We're looking at fiddling with the uh, opportunity stages in Salesforce. And 
that's change management, right? Like you don't, mm-hmm. you don't just go changing something in Salesforce. And then the sales team's like, what the, what, what's going on with, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's change management. You gotta, you right. gotta, you gotta, you gotta run it. And when I think of what that must be like at, I don't know, Monsanto or bear now, I guess, yeah, um, right. or Coca-Cola or one of some, some, you know, monolith, um, that's a real, that's a real challenge. And not only yeah. because your, your three buckets there of sort of preparation, leadership buy in, and then the, and then the, the communication downstream, mm-hmm. the project management involved in getting any one of those three things, right. Yeah. It's a pretty gargantuan undertaking. So my follow-up question to you, and this is, you know, candidly, maybe a little, uh, self-serving just as someone who sits on the other side of, this world trying to bring our product into these types of situations. Mm-hmm. What's something that the person in, in, in sort of your shoes or the, the, the buyer's shoes, like what are some things they should be looking out for with the vendors they're trying to work with to make sure all that stuff goes smoothly? So it's interesting that you bring that up. I, have worked with several clients to help them go through even just that process of bringing in a managed service provider or working with a new supplier or vendor. Mm -hmm. And it's their ability to work agilely and to be flexible. So when I see a contract that is exceptionally locked down um, and very rigid uh, without any opportunity other than maybe a change order to try to fix the pricing or the scope, um, which can take months, as we know, in a lot of these large organizations, you know, we you have to bring the new hotness to the game. You can't bring some archaic methodologies for business to, you know, a, a new hot game. You just can't. Mm-hmm. And so it, I look for companies who are dabbling in innovation who are willing to do something, even if it's a little bit messy, a little differently, um, and then be willing to have a little slack on either side of, from a contract perspective, but also just from an operating model perspective. Mm. You know, I want to know that a company is not just going to show me their A team when they're doing their sales pitch, but, and then I end up with the C or a D team at the end of the day. Um, I want to know you know, who, who am I going to be working with? And and let's face it, at the end of the day, Justin, just as we're doing right now, business relationship management is the key for all business getting done ever. Right. You're going to come back when you have that relationship, when you gain the trust, when you understand that you're working with somebody that has credibility, um, that doesn't just say what they say, but they do what they say. So those are those are the things that I look for: innovation, credibility, someone that is you know being forthright and 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 really not willing to make a mistake, but also willing to be flexible enough to work around that in a fair and you know not ridiculous way. We don't want to spend a bunch of money on mistakes, but sometimes we have to make the mistakes to be innovative. Right, and and you get this symbiotic relationship where you're kind of pushing the boundaries mm-hmm. of the product and and as a just I think about myself as a marketer you know we 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 spend money with literally two of the three largest tech companies on earth um 
shout out to uh, 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 Google and, and, and Facebook here on, right, right. On, <laughs> on, on, on advertising. <laughs> and, you know, like they, they sometimes I wonder if there's any <laughs> humans on the other side of, of that relationship. Right. Like they've, right. Like they've got they're from a product perspective the interface for Google ads and Facebook advertising are, are two of the most just remarkable things that exist. They're so powerful, so much you can do. They load extremely fast. They work on all browsers. Mm -hmm. You can, I can make the, some of the best business decisions of my life and I can make some of the worst business decisions of my life in that platform at any given time. Right. That's right. And, and that's, what's really amazing. But like there is, there is no, from my seat anyway, like I have absolutely zero impact on what that platform can do outside of what it already does. At the enterprise level with what you're talking about, if you're dealing mm -hmm. with a, let's just keep Coca-Cola as our, as our example here. Sure. If, if Coca-Cola and I don't know if they're a ServiceNow customer, but let's pretend they are for a second, they might be like they can maybe bend each other in, in certain directions, but, but there, there's a, there's a, a weight to two massive organizations with what I'm sure is a multi-million dollar a year contract that, and a huge relationship between the two of them, but understanding your relationships with your vendors on the other side, mm -hmm. maybe you don't get to write the next chapter of their product roadmap, but all feedback is important. And Correct. the working relationship you have is is very valuable. And that's not that's another thing that we don't talk about a lot on this show. And I'm glad you brought it up is the back and forth relationship between technology provider and the customer. Right. Um, so switching gears a little bit, when you think of driving business value through automation this is another thing mm -hmm. we, we, mm -hmm. we touched on a little bit. Um, one thing that. I'm always curious about, and you're uniquely positioned for this, just given the purview you have with working mm -hmm. worldwide technology is a, a, a very successful, massive company. And you guys deal with a lot of very successful, massive companies in your, in your line <laughs> of business. So I'm curious, like, what does the quant, how is business, how do you quantify the value driven through automation? Do you, do you look at hours saved? Do you, is it ticket deflection rate? Is it depend based on the use case? I'm just kind of curious, like what you've seen work and maybe not work when it comes mm -hmm. to drive to like proving the ROI of this stuff, if you will, because yeah. I think that'd be helpful for our listeners who are kind of, you know, kicking the tires, so to speak on bringing automation into their business. So I'm going to answer that question a couple of different ways. I love it. Floor is yours. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to do interpretive dance or sing yet. I will. I could give you the consultant answer, which is it depends. But I'm not going to do that to you today, Justin. Today, Justin, I'm going to I'm going to tell you that it is up to. I will say this: mm -hmm. when we've understood the capabilities that the business is wanting to achieve, then we can map to those success criteria. Okay, so. When we think of a service value chain or the service value system, we start with what is the critical success factor? Basically, you have to name it to tame it, Justin. And, and I say that's one of my, one of my colleagues says that all the time. You got to name it to tame it. Mm -hmm. 
when we understand what the business is looking to achieve, what is their objective? What outcomes are they are they seeking? I could make up all kinds of things that I would say to you, Justin, you know, if we, you know, change the way that your microphone is sitting in front of your computer, you're going to get this many much more times of airspeed time and da 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 But is that valuable to you? Do you care? Is that, are we measuring something that doesn't even matter? And so frequently, that's where organizations get lost. And particularly from an IT services perspective, or really just in a support perspective, what's mm-hmm. important? What is important? And so the goals might be, we need to decrease our handle time for our manufacturing sites by X percent because it's costing us $110 billion a minute to run this one particular thing. And it's taking us three years to run it. You know, like, okay, so we're saying that we need to decrease um, or increase speed, you know, decrease or, you know, create situations where we have automation. um, And potentially, before we can even automate, um, you know, we have to modify the process. We have Mm. to know what it is. So before you even look at technology or a technical solution, you have to understand what that process is first. You optimize, then you automate. And in this odd little example that I gave you as a use case (laughs) of 11 billion minutes and a billion dollars or whatever it was, uh, you know, of course, there's a financial outcome to that. And so, you know, maybe they're having, re, um, you know, human challenges with staffing. And so now they need to find new and clever ways to, um, you know, automate some of those processes, but they have to optimize it first. And we don't want to optimize the things or automate anything that we're doing just because that's how we've always done it. Right. Yeah. The concept of understanding the process before you even get into implementation is mm-hmm. one of those it's one of those ideas and concepts that has a bit of an uh, this veneer of obvious like you think oh well, of course that's what you want to do but like that's not often how people work they no. they have their acute pain and they're like you know uh, we're we're spending 11 billion dollars a minute or in, in our yeah. little fictional example like fix it and That's right. and and the next thing you know, you're you're reviewing a contract from you know, SAP or whatever to shout out mm-hmm. to SAP, and and you're you know about ready to add another seven figures to your your um mm-hmm. your, your sort of annual deal there, but you haven't like mapped out, you haven't thought through just good old fashioned process design first. Because maybe you can get it done with your existing existing tools, right? Maybe you could get it done with what you've already got. Maybe there's maybe this has nothing to do with technology, and maybe you've got people in the organization that need to be coached or or, or managed out or whatever it is, right? It could be behavioral, it, and it could be, you know, that we're using um outdated processes. It could be. Uh, you know, culturally based, it could be all kinds of things. And culturally, I mean, specific to that company or organization or even the business culture. Right. Yeah. And, and so, (laughs) you know, we can use a lot of things like uh, a lot of Lean Six Sigma modelings, 
Kaizen events and Pareto charts and timings and all kinds of things to collect, <clears throat> to collect the process steps and understand who's doing what at what time and what group. And that's a lot of just kind of the how you how the sausage is made kind of scenario when you're looking at process optimization, but you have to know what all those steps are. And what's interesting is, you know, a lot of companies don't have those processes documented because maybe they've been doing it for so long that's just embedded and ingrained in a workflow already, mm. or they just have had one person there for a really long time and they have all the tribal knowledge and it hasn't been transitioned over to anybody else or shared. Um, <clears throat> so those are really common scenarios. And that's where a lot of that fear can come into play. Going back to one of your other questions is, but this is what I do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so often we hear, have you heard the grandma's ham story? No. Okay. So this is what I, what I use a lot of times when we've been doing the same thing forever and ever and ever, and we don't even question it. So the mom is cooking a ham and one of her children come in and she sees that the mom's cutting the end of the ham off. And the daughter or the son says, hey, why are you cutting off the end of the ham? Well, because your grandma always did it. And so they go and ask grandma, grandma, why do you cut the end of the ham off? She's like, well, I just don't have a pan big enough to fit the ham, right? So we, don't, we, we need to always go back and recognize the variables that we have in every situation and what might have changed since the last time we looked at this process or the last time we optimized this process, you know? <laughs> What, what's different in our lives now that, that's different that may not have existed before? Like a bunch of people transitioning to work from home, for example, right? Like, right. <laughs> like it, 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 these things happen, right? And that's we, right. And we, and we, and we certainly, um, we certainly live through it. We have a lot of customers in the uh, mortgage and financial services space. And I was doing some research for, for a campaign we we're going to run and, and came across a really interesting um, study that I think it was like 83% of the lenders surveyed, I think it was like Freddie Mac and I think Freddie Mac ran this survey, like 83% of the uh, mortgage lenders surveyed said that the pandemic was a catalyst for like them kickstarting the, some digital transformation efforts inside mm -hmm. the business. Absolutely. And I just, you know, it, it's one of those things where, pick the lens at which you want to look through life and look at, you know, the economy yeah. and everything else. And you will find that the last 18 months influenced the direction that that sure. cohort is going very significantly. And when I think to myself, like outside of just the pandemic, but the, the march forward of progress and technology and all this, there's, there's a, there's a thought that pops into my head that I'm very curious what your um, what your thought on this is. And that is you have a growing amount of very powerful platforms that companies can go out and invest in. Some of those platforms are a lot more, I'm making quotes for, for those of us that aren't on <laughs> video, are a lot more open from an API yeah. and sort of data interchange than others are. Right. Some it, there's there's sort of like building the, 
the 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 source of truth, the the the, the system of record. Salesforce is, mm -hmm. is one that I deal with in my line of work all the time on this, right? Where it's like that is the source of truth for so many things, mm -hmm. and because of that, they get to kind of uh, wield that in terms of lock in and upsells and all sorts of others. They like they're providing great value. I'm not, you know, not <laughs> not. I can I could I could fill this entire podcast ranting about Salesforce, but. <laughs> <laughs> Preach on! <laughs> shout out! Shout out to our friends over at, over at Salesforce. Um, That's right. But but there's you get to this point now with these when you when you really start looking at at changing the business and, and doing things, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. start really having this build versus buy conversation. This is where I like ultimately this this circuitous plane that I'm trying to land here is when you start to enact change, when you have the impetus for transformation, when you want to start automating, you you start having the build versus buy conversation, and again. Right. Whether you're Coca-Cola with a couple thousand people in their sort of IT and development departments across the world, or your capacity and your team of, of, of mm -hmm. 80. Um, how do you approach build versus buy and what do you tell your clients and customers? So I mentioned that I'm tool agnostic and I am because to me, you buy the thing that's going to suit your need. The tool never fixes the problem. The tool is only a mechanism for which you can automate and leverage your transformation. The end. And I know that every person I know who's a salesperson at all around the world is probably rolling their eyes and cringing their teeth right now. But at the end of the day, you're not going to go sell someone a whole slew of Palo Alto uh you know, routers, you're not going to go sell someone a whole suite of, you know, ServiceNow platform if they're a mom and pop shop and there's like, they just don't have the need for that, right? right? Um, and you're a startup and do you really need to have that kind of a robust um, customer facing thing? No, Zen ServiceNow is probably going to be a heavy hit. Zendesk is probably fine, you know? So, Yes, we have to use tools because they're the platform that we get to show off our awesomeness and our strategies and our processes and all of our amazing talents as humans who are working in an organization. And those are, those are the things that should be the microphone for which our organizations are able to like kind of speak through, if you will. Mm -hmm. They're not the thing... Yes, it's kind of, it seems like a catch 22, but we can't do these other cool automation things without the technology. I'm like, yeah, but you have to know what you're doing first right. and understand right. your strategy, your strategy before you go and build versus versus buy. Um, sometimes it is better to just try something homegrown for the most part. There's a lot of really cool technology out there from a tool perspective that if it's going to suit your need, yeah, I, I generally will go that way. Sometimes it doesn't even require buying something new. Right. Sometimes you can make some configuration changes, you know? Right. Deep in the bowels of the settings. <laughs> and sometimes now, not so deep anymore. And yeah. that's the difference. It used to be all big and scary, like trying to program your VCR. Hey, kids listening at home, a VCR is a tape cassette that we used to use way before. <laughs> before like DVDs. Was What's on? a DVD? Yeah. That's right. What's a DVD? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was yep. going to make a, a 
double down on the joke about looking back at DVDs and, and mm-hmm, looking mm-hmm. forward to the future and what do you see, what excites you most about the future of automation? Um, but I think I'm just going to make the transition really blunt here and say, yeah. what excites you most about the future of support automation? Oh, gosh. I think to me, more than anything else, it is not just a transformation, it's a user experience. And we're so need to be focused on what that looks like. So as a consumer, I get excited about not having to call somebody, being able to handle something myself, Mm -hmm. scheduling something online. Uh, I might sound like I have a dynamic personality, but I really am very much a hermit. So I don't like to leave. (laughs) It gives me a lot of opportunity. And on from a from a let's say a practitioner perspective or a consultant perspective or maybe in a delivery perspective where we're providing um, you know items and capabilities to an end user to me it's so exciting that we can do so much mm-hmm. um, with just if we can imagine it we can make it happen and that to me coming from I'm a girl who started off in the help desk supporting AS400 technology, okay? Green screen and the whole deal. And to now, I'm, you know, in my kitchen talking to you through a laptop using these ridiculous headsets, <laughs> video technology, and it's so great. It's really amazing. So I think, will we have flying cars and all the other, like that's the kind of automation I want to see. I want to see the Marnie McFly, you know, uh, flying back to the future cars. I want to see, you know, that type of stuff. But I think because we'll have automation that we have a real opportunity to provide a whole different level of customer service. Yes, by making the mundane stuff is is handled via automation and you have your your best people have their best energy. I tell the story all the time because I think it's the ultimate, I'm going to use a fancy word here. It's the paradigmatic example of why automation helps. Yes. And it was, I had an issue with a, a TV I bought at Best Buy and I went through their little automated triage to, to get an answer. Couldn't get the answer. Finally got to a support agent. But as someone who you know works in this business, I was just sort of noticing that the way they built it mm-hmm. was pretty good and that like their automated help would have covered 90% of use cases. Mm-hmm. So I say this to say, by the time I had to call them and got on the phone, I had this wonderful experience with the person on the other line because it was very clear to me that she didn't spend her entire day just repeating the return policy 15,000 times to people, right? right? Like she was only getting phone calls for weird esoteric issues like what I had. And it was a delightful experience. And like, if that, if, if they didn't create that self-service level zero support funnel that they had, Uh it it, it wouldn't work. So, you know, congratulations to Best Buy for, for, for doing the work there. But but that was definitely just one of many examples of, of, of the future here. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. I can't thank you enough. Uh, You're welcome. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna land the plane here with our quick fire round. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so, what's the book that you most often recommend to people? Surrounded by idiots. Surrounded by idiots. That is a that is that is one that's come up a couple times on this show. Uh, okay. Yeah. It is. 
a profound insight into character, into personalities, and into communication, which I think has kind of been one of the themes of this particular conversation today. You're talking about uh, you know change management, know your audience. Yep. When you think of all the different productivity hacks and techniques and everything you've picked up over the years, what's the one that stands out is the one that's you're still using and the best one? Um, I think it's one that's newer. I am, I'm really into the Cortana Microsoft kind of plugin that schedules focus time for me Mm. like two weeks out. And if I don't leverage that, then I don't have time to be strategic and to be heads down and to, you know, improve. So whether that's for myself or for my clients or for whatever the reason is. So that little feature has really helped me learn how to create some boundaries for myself to give myself that time to be a better person. Yeah, there's a, uh, for anyone who's a Google Calendar um, <laughs> user, uh, there's a little plugin you get called Clockwise. It does kind of the same thing. It, oh, cool. It, it will move, if it can, it will move your meetings around to try to give you as many uninterrupted two-hour blocks in a day as mm-hmm. it can, which is really mm-hmm. great. That's a good one. If you could recommend one site, blog, Slack community, LinkedIn group, you know, physical, like go actually, go actually talk to people in real life group um, around, the, you know, automation, support, mm-hmm. et cetera, like what would it be? This is going to sound like a shameless plug, but it really isn't intended that way. WWT.com. We have an amazing a group of automation. We've got our labs, our ATC lab, and the I can go out there if I want to learn about any kind of new automation that's coming out or any kind of new tool capabilities. I can go in and get into this place go do a quick, I can set up my own use case lab that is temporary and can be free. And I can just go out there and learn all these different use cases that are already set up in these labs. And so, um, very cool. Get I, I get that I work for this company and I love this company, but this company does some really, really cool stuff. So, well, so you're, you're, <laughs> all, you're allowed, you're allowed to, you're allowed to get a plug <laughs> to gloat in. a little bit about yeah. how awesome my company is. If there's one person in, in your, your world of business and, and operations and, and support, et cetera, change management, digital, the, the, in the world you operate, if there's one person you could take for either coffee or a cocktail, depending on um, the time of day and, and whatnot, who would it be? I don't know that I have a good answer for that. In my in my specific industry, I would have been one of the founders of the Help Desk Institute um, from a long time ago, just because he was so great. Yeah. And uh, but so I don't know how relevant that is now. No, um, that's 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 perfectly fair because you know Help Desk Institute is is something that I I lurk a lot there. <laughs> yeah, and you know. I really find that there's also some really great forums on um, the LinkedIn sites, specifically around knowledge-centered support Mm -hmm. and around idle version four. But, you know, more than anything, where I learn the most um, and continual growth uh, is when I'm working with my clients. I mean, it, being able to apply the knowledge that I have now and then finding new use cases and going, huh, let's problem solve through that. 
Yeah. That's that's really interesting. So I know I didn't give you a straight answer. That wasn't straight talk with Melissa Teeter today. I apologize, Justin. You don't um, have to apologize. I mean, you know, there this you go. Is, these, these, <laughs> these, these, these conversations are meant to be real and helpful and dynamic. And I mean, I could tell you right now, just looking at my typical show notes script thing, I've only used like two of the questions I normally ask, which is my definition of a great podcast. So oh, Melissa, <laughs> Melissa, thank you so much for, for, for joining me this afternoon. Um, where can people find out more about you and worldwide technology? Uh, you can find me on the platform at www.com and look for Melissa Teeter, or you can also look for me on LinkedIn. Um, and it's Melissa dot teeter and there's two melissa teeters out there so you got to look for the one that works for worldwide technology <laughs> thank you so much melissa for coming on the support automation show hope to see you around thank you the support automation show is brought to you by capacity visit capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform you can find the show by searching for support automation in your favorite podcast app please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes on behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening.